Amen. That, that phrase that, that Tony used, trophy of grace, that's a good one. That's a good one. I don't know if you heard him say that. He's not going to be a tragic figure anymore, but a trophy of grace, that's, that's killer. I don't know if he wrote that, but he should. Just go ahead and trademark that and use it. That's right. Happy Valentine's Day. It's about the response you get for Valentine's Day, right? Uh, you say Merry Christmas, and everyone goes, Merry Christmas. And you say Happy Valentine's Day, and, and most people are like, yeah. You know, there's a few men in the room panicking right now. Right? A couple guys fidgeting. And if you're, if you're sitting next to a man who's fidgeting, that means he's about to go spend a lot of money on you the rest of today, right? Right? So just enjoy that. Now, Valentine's Day is kind of a, a funny day. In fact, whenever I looked at the calendar and realized that Valentine's Day was on a Sunday this year, this wasn't until like three weeks ago because I just don't use calendars very well. Um, and I, I'll be honest, a part of me was like, oh, I guess we got to talk about love, right? Because it's Valentine's Day and it's on a Sunday and that doesn't happen that often. And there was part of me that was like, hey, God, you know, we talk about love a lot at his hands. I mean, if you're new, just go ahead and know this. We talk a lot about love. We, we are big fans of God's love. Our vision is to love people to Jesus. That's our mission. We want people to get God's love, grow in his love, give it away. If you've gone here long, you should be able to quote that in your sleep, right? So we talk a lot about love. We talked about love last week as we talked about who we are as a church. We talked about love a few weeks ago as part of our More series. And so there's part of me that, that just, to be honest with you, goes, hey, God, I feel like we've got this covered. And then I, I, I hear God laughing in my head right? Like, oh, oh, you've got love covered. Okay. Yeah, you've got, that, you've got that down. I mean, sometimes we do that, right? Those of us who've been following Jesus for a long time, we hear about love and we sort of go, yeah, love. I mean, that's good. It's, it's important. Love's good and all. But, you know, I mean, there's bigger things to focus on, like righteousness and holiness. Love, you know, love's this basic thing. Except when you look at your life, ask yourself a few questions. Do you have an overabundance of love in your life? I mean, are any of us sitting here going, hey, my parents, they just loved me a little too much. They, they, they gave me too much support. They encouraged me way too much. I got, I got too much love. That's been my problem in life. I've had this overabundance of love, and I just don't know what to do with all of it. I don't know what to do with all the extra love that I have in my life. Or do we operate more out of a deficit of love and struggle with that and try to fill that, that vacancy with other things that seem fulfilling, but in reality, if we just had a lot more love at a young age, we'd, we'd be good. Or do you feel like you understand love? Do you, do you get love? Like really get love? Because love's kind of confusing, right? Do you really get it? Do you really understand it? It's very important to God that you do, by the way. In 1 John 4, 8, the Bible says, anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And so apparently it's important to God that we understand and we get love because love and God are very, very closely related. Do you get love? Or do you have love mastered? I mean, would any of us raise our hand and say, yeah, I mean, there's one thing that I'm, I nail it day in, day out. I just love people perfectly. I love myself. I love my spouse. I love my children. I love my friends. I love the people that I drive with on 575. I love, <laughs> right? I love, I love the people I work next to. I love my boss. I love, I love God. I love Jesus. I love my enemies. I just, I'm so good at love. I've got this down, and the reality is, even though we think love is a basic thing, it's, it's the hardest thing in the world to master. And so I'm really glad that Valentine's Day is on a Sunday this year. In fact, I wish it was every year because we, we can't have enough opportunities to stop and reflect on God's love and think about what it means for us and how we can respond to it. We really, we can't do that enough. It's a perfect day to be here. One thing's for certain, when you think about love, when you think about Valentine's Day, this day that's the celebration of love in our culture, our culture has no idea what love is. 
Our culture doesn't get love. Now, our culture worships love. Our culture puts love on this giant pedestal, but it does not understand it, not in the slightest. Look at, look at love songs, for example. There are a variety of love songs, songs about love, and they tell us all these things about love, but there's no consistency in the message. So one song tells us that love is all we need. Right? That's a classic. Love is all we need. And then another classic, I believe, tells us that love emphatically stinks. Right? It's all we need, but it stinks. And then some songs just ask questions about love. What's love got to do with it? Like, what, what is love? Right? What is love? Baby, don't hurt me no more. What is love? Right? We all know that. It's just, what is this thing? Our culture is confused. Movies, they don't help. You look at classic love stories. They don't have a clue what love is. Take something really classic like, say, Greece. Okay? Now, if you haven't seen Greece, it came out in the 70s. And there is a statute of limitations on spoilers, so if you've been dying to see Greece, cover your ears, because I'm going to spoil it for you. Here's the setup. Danny, as played by John Travolta, is a bad boy. He wears leather jackets, he smokes cigarettes, he cuts class, he races cars, and he wins dance contests, because that's what bad boys do, okay? <laughs> that's what they do. And Sandy is played by Olivia Newton-John. She, she's this wholesome High character girl, she makes good grades, she wears poodle skirts, you know, she does what you're supposed to do in life, and then she, she falls in love with Danny because opposites attract. And there's this crisis. Danny tries to change himself. He ditches the leather jacket for a, a sweater and he joins the track team, but it's just not him. It's not him, he can't live that way. He's gotta be true to himself. He's, he's gotta race cars, he's gotta dance. He was born to hand jive, he has to do this, right? It's, it's who he is in his soul, but it's okay, it's okay. Because Sandy loves him. And so she starts smoking cigarettes and wearing leather pants because when you love someone, when you love someone, you change everything about yourself to make them happy, right? That's what love is. No. It's a stupid story. I wish there's a, there's a, a Danny and Sandy 10 years later. It would not end well. It wouldn't be good. Or let's, let's take something more serious because that's kind of a silly movie. And I just want you to understand, I'm about to offend some of you. This guy, Okay. Now, some of us in the room don't know who this is. I wish I was you. Some of us, again, some of you are going to want to kill me in two minutes, but just forgive me in advance. Who is this? Those of you who know, ladies? Okay, but who's he playing? Colin Firth. Right here. Mr. Darcy. Mr. Darcy. All right. Let me back up for a second. This is Colin Firth playing Mr. Darcy in the 1995 A&E and BBC six-hour miniseries of Pride and Prejudice, of which I have seen 40 times, okay? In fact, I saw this movie like 20 times before I was ever married, which is weird, right? That's weird. It is. You don't have to, to deny it. It's strange. See, here's the thing. My mom's here today, so mom, hi. Um, my mom bought this six-hour miniseries on VHS tape back in the mid-'90s. And when my dad would leave town, my mom would, would binge watch it before binge watching was even a thing. Before Netflix came out, my mom was like a pioneer in binge watching. And she would make me watch this. She made me. And so I know all about Mr. Darcy. He lives at Pemberley. It's in Derbyshire, which is a beautiful part of England. And I know all about Ms. Bennett. And I know all about Mr. Wickham. Mr. Wickham, right? What a jerk. Mr. Wickham. And so guys, again, spoiler alert, this was written in 1813, so if you don't know it by now, it's, it's again, you're about to have it spoiled. Mr. Darcy, he's a, a rich, handsome young man, never been married. 
He uh, is very generous, very high character, very upstanding guy. But there's a big problem. He's kind of a stick in the mud. Doesn't like to dance. When he shows up at the, the local balls, he just stands there. He doesn't dance. And he falls in love with Ms. Bennett. And he proposes to her, but she says no, because how can you marry a rich, attractive, kind-hearted, honorable man who doesn't like to dance, right? <laughs> He's like the opposite of Danny from Greece. They're polar opposites. They would not have hung out in high school. How could she do that? You can't marry that. He doesn't like to dance. You can't marry him, but it's okay. Because his love for her, it melts away the rough edges. And occasionally he enjoys a good waltz. And so she marries him. She marries him because it's, it's every woman's fantasy, an almost perfect man that you get to fix, right? Because that's love. That's love. Except it's not because Mr. Darcy's not real. There are no Mr. Darcy's in the world. Men, you should be saying amen right now, but you're not. There are Mr. Wickham's, but there's no real Mr. Darcy's. This is a man invented by women. And we, we can't, we can't be him. We can't, we try, we can't do it. We can't do it. That's why over the, the last 200 years, it's just the, the Mr. Darcy's have downgraded and it went from that to like Matthew McConaughey. That's the, the modern version of Mr. Darcy. See, our culture is just so confused about love. It doesn't know what love is. It tries to explain it, it tries to personify it, but, but our culture doesn't understand love because our culture doesn't understand God and God is love. And you can't understand love if you don't understand God. So our culture gets confused. You know what else doesn't understand love, though? Religion. Religion doesn't understand love at all. Whereas culture doesn't get love because it doesn't get God and God is love, religion forgets that God is love in the first place. And so what happens with religion is, is love is undervalued. Love is treated like this elementary thing. It's the shallow end of the pool. And we graduate from that, and then we get into deeper things like holiness. Holiness is great. But if you read the Bible, if these are college courses, if you major in, in holiness and minor in love, you've gotten it backwards. Love is the, the big thing. There is nothing deeper. Love is the deep end of the pool. In fact, I love the way that this man named A.W. Tozer put it years ago. Talking about God's love, he said this, and he lived a while ago, so these are fancy words. His love is an incomprehensibly vast, bottomless, shoreless sea, before which we kneel in joyful silence and from which the loftiest eloquence retreats confused and abashed. In other words, God's love is so big, you just can't, you can't even wrap your mind around it. It's bottomless. And you can't go deeper than something that's bottomless. You just, you can't do it. Love, love is not this, this easy thing. Love isn't the simple thing. Love isn't the thing we graduate from. I mean, what's What's harder? Loving people with the intensity of Jesus or following the rules of religion. Think about marriage, for example. There's rules in marriage. There's pretty obvious rules. Then there's, there's other rules that, you know, they're not spoken, but you just know, like, mow the lawn. Or pay someone to mow the lawn. And if you pay someone to mow the lawn, it still counts. That's still, you get credit for that. You got it done. There's rules. Now, I can follow every rule of marriage... Every single one of them, I can check them off the list. I've never done this, I've never done this, I get home on time, I provide, I haven't had an affair, blah, blah, blah. I can do all those things. That's good. You want to follow the rules, but you can do every one of those and not love. And so Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, through the Bible, says this in Ephesians 5. For husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or other blemish. 
Instead, she will be holy and without fault. Now notice the order. Love comes before holiness. Love is actually what makes us holy. Instead, she'll be without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love to himself. What's harder, following the rules of marriage or loving like that? It's oh, so much harder to love. It's a challenge. And the amazing thing about love is that even if we fail in following all the rules, which we often do, love covers it. It covers it. 1 Peter 4.8 says that love covers a multitude of sin. Most importantly, show deep love for one another because love covers a multitude of sin. If we love with the passion of Jesus... If we love like that, if we become known by our love, and that is the reputation we have, then you know what? When we make mistakes, when we fall short, when we break a few rules, in our, in our humanity, in our imperfection, it's love that makes up for it. It's love that covers. So love is it's kind of a big deal. It's a big deal to God. And, and as a church, we can never, ever treat love like this thing that we've got it, we've got it down. We're good, time to move beyond it. No, no, we need to stop often and reflect on God's love because the love of Jesus changed everything. There's nothing that has the ability to change lives and to change your life today like God's love. Nothing. Nothing. Jesus loves like no one else. I mean, he says this about himself. It's pretty bold. In John 15, 13, Jesus says, there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Now, he's saying this before he goes to the cross. This is Jesus essentially saying... No one loves like I do. There's never been love like my love. There's no love greater than my love. No one that's ever lived can love the way I love. That's a bold claim, but Jesus backs it up. See, Jesus' love for you, his love for this world, it's not normal. It's not. It's, it's wholly different. It's wholly different. Normal love, normal love is all talk. Normal love loves like flowery language. Normal love is all about over-promising and under-delivering. That's why, guys, we say very bold things when we fall in love with a woman. You know, I, I die for you, right? <laughs> Anyone ever said that to your, I, I die for you? And then, you know, fast forward a few years and there's a big game on. And she wants to go to Bed Bath & Beyond. And you're like, well, you know, I would die for you. And if I died for you today, that means I'd miss every game that would ever come on again. But... This game's on right now, and so I'll die for you, but I, I'm not going to miss the game, right? That's how we are. We, we make bold promises. We, we over-promise. We under-deliver because, because normal love does that. Normal love talks a big game, but it rarely, rarely backs it up with action. It rarely does, which actually breaks our hearts so many times. Someone told us something. Their actions didn't show it. Jesus is not like that. He's not like that. In Mark chapter 2, there's this man that is paralyzed. And his friends are bringing him to Jesus because that's what you do with someone who needs something. You bring them to Jesus. It's still like that, by the way. They bring him to Jesus. And they can't get him into the house that Jesus is in because it's so crowded and there's all these people there. And apparently they're so fixated on Jesus that they don't bother to turn around and see that there's a person in need that needs to get to Jesus. So these friends, they get creative and they go up on the roof and they break through the roof and they lower the man down on a mat in front of Jesus. Imagine that happening and you're in the room. How silent the room would get as this man comes down, Mission Impossible style, just right there. And then Jesus says something really surprising. Not something you would think he would say. He says, your sins are forgiven. And I'm sure that the guy 
And everyone else were kind of like, hey, Jesus, I'm not saying that you've missed the obvious. And I'm really glad to know that my sins are forgiven, but I'm here because I need to be healed. And the man's probably confused. The, the Pharisees, the religious people in the room, probably the same guys who wouldn't let the guy in in the first place, they're, they're furious, they're mad. How dare Jesus say this? In fact, look at what it says in, in Mark 2, starting in verse 6. Some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So I'll prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. And then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, he grabbed his mat, and he walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed, and they praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. We've never seen anything like this before. See, the Pharisees really accuse Jesus of normal love. They say, hey, you're saying something big, but you can't actually do that. You're making a bold claim about yourself, Jesus. You're saying, oh, I can forgive sins, but you can't, you can't do it. You can't back that up. You don't have the action to back up your statement. You're all talk. And then Jesus proves that his words are true by what he does. See, Jesus' love, it never overpromises and underdelivers. It is always backed up by his action. And we need to know that because there are things Jesus has promised you. And you may not know this, but he has promised you some big things. Jesus has promised that he will never leave you or forsake you. And if Jesus makes that promise to you, this is not him saying, I die for you, because he already did that. This is Jesus telling you something that he intends to do. He will never leave you. When Jesus says, I will give you the Holy Spirit who will inhabit you, who will transform you, and who will make you able to live the life that I'm calling you to live. This is Jesus telling you the truth. He will do that for you. He will not make you a promise he doesn't back up. When Jesus tells us, I will come back for my church, he means it. Jesus' love, it's never all talk. It's not normal love. Normal love, it's a lot of things. It's, it's safe. Normal love wants one thing. It wants reciprocation. And that's why when we find out that someone likes us, if we're single and we find out someone's interested in us, they immediately become just a little bit more attractive because we like to be loved. So ladies, there might be a guy and you're single and he likes you and you've never thought about him that way. Maybe you don't even intend to date him, but your friends say, oh, he thinks you're awesome. He thinks you're beautiful. He was talking about you the other day and you kind of go, well, hmm. I mean, he has good taste. So <laughs> got to give him that. And like, be honest, if we're, if we're really honest, the person just goes up a notch. Maybe just a notch, but a notch, because we, we love to receive love. We're actually built that way by God. We're supposed to receive his love. It's the fact that we try to receive other love instead of his love that messes us up. But we're built to receive love. Normal love is all about reciprocation. It's safe. What normal love seeks to avoid at all costs is rejection. Normal love doesn't like to put itself out there. That's why guys... When we, when we fall in love with a girl, when we have feelings for a girl, unless we have serious game, which I never had, you, just, you don't just go ask her. You don't walk up to a girl and say, hey, you're beautiful. You want to go out? You don't do that. You're not Danny from Greece. You don't do that. No, what do you do? You feel it out. You do some recon. Right? You... You try to pick up on a vibe. You, you try to get some information, some intel from her friends. Maybe you even send some of your guys out, some of your boys to go 
and get some information for you, bring that back, because you're not going to ask her out if you don't have at least a 70% chance of success. Like you need that 70% before you're, you're going to do that, because you don't want to be rejected. I've been rejected so many times. I got rejected by a girl named Allison Walker in kindergarten. <laughs> kindergarten. <laughs> I, never, I never had the girls are gross phase. That never happened to me. I, I just thought Allison Walker was pretty, and so I wanted to tell her that I liked her. Kindergarten. I remember this as clear as day. It was semi-traumatic. And so I went up to Allison one day in kindergarten in Miss Walker's class. She, she was Allison Walker, but Miss Walker was our teacher. They weren't related. I don't think anyway. Hmm, I don't know. So I go, Allison, I want to tell you a secret. That was my plan. I was going to whisper, I like you, in her ear. Not I love you. I was taking things slow. And so I say, Allison, I want to whisper something in your ear. I have a secret to tell you. And she says verbatim, no you're going to burp in my ear. And, and like, I don't think I'd ever burped in a girl's ear before at that point in my life. And so I'm not sure why she thought that, but then as, you know, as I look back, that wasn't really outside the scope of my reputation as a six-year-old boy. I was kind of a cut-up and a clown, so yeah, maybe I would have done that. that. That wasn't unbelievable. But I wasn't going to do it. And so I pleaded with her. I said, Allison, no, I promise I'm not going to burp in here. It's a very strange conversation. And I just, I have to tell you this secret. And she wouldn't let me do it. She was convinced. So I never got to tell her I liked her. I got rejected before I even asked the question. That's, that's talent right there. And it wasn't the last time that I was rejected by a girl. And so by the time I developed feelings for Megan, I had wised up. I had wised up. I'm like, okay, I'm not coming in hot this time. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get some, some information to back up my approach. And so I, I started to hang out with Megan. I, I dropped little hints, you know, a little flirtation going on. I became really good friends with one of her friends. Her name was Brittany. And I would ask Brittany questions about her. I kind of let Brittany know that, hey, I kind of like her, so find out if she kind of likes me. I know it was, I was in high school, so just, okay. It was a little immature, but it worked, all right? We're married. Been married 10 years, so I'm just saying. So I had friends, and I kind of asked my friends to go put feelers out and figure things out. And one day, Brittany... Megan's friend comes to me and says, if you ask Megan out, she will say yes. And I thought, this puts me above the 70% line. Now I, can, now I can proceed. And so I asked Megan out, but even then I was still nervous. Even though her friend had said, she will say yes, I was still nervous because I don't want to be rejected. Normal love avoids rejection at all costs. Jesus does not love in a normal way. No one has ever been rejected like Jesus. Not in his time on earth and not, not after. Jesus gets rejected by millions of people every single day. And he has for the last 2,000 years. You know, it's interesting. It really is interesting. Jesus, he sort of sent feelers out for centuries before he came. He had these boys that he sent out to gather intel, the prophets, to figure out if he came in person, would they, would they accept him? Would the people accept him and reciprocate his love or would they reject him? And, and those prophets got rejected constantly. Most of them were killed. In fact, Jesus says this in Luke 13, verse 34. He's talking about Jerusalem. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers. Now, over the centuries before Jesus came, you'd think he would have gotten the message. I send out these people. I have a message from me. The person gets killed. Chances of reciprocation, low. Chances of rejection, almost absolute. But what does Jesus do? He comes anyway. He comes anyway, and he gets rejected. He gets hung on a cross. But see, Jesus, he's not loving to receive. He doesn't need our love. 
He does not need you to love him so that he feels good about himself. He is completely secure in who he is. He loves to love, and he loves not in a safe way. He risks it all. He already risked it all to love you. See, the love of Jesus, it's not normal. It's not, it's not conditional. It's not emotional. It's not fickle. The love of Jesus is the most powerful thing you can ever experience. It's the most intense thing you'll ever experience. There's nothing that endures like it. There's nothing like the love of Jesus. It's not normal. There is no greater love than the love of Jesus. And so here we are on Valentine's Day. This day that celebrates what the world calls love. But looks nothing like the love of Jesus. Here we are. And this is an amazing day to be here. This is an amazing day to sit and reflect on the love of Jesus. Because how do we respond to this love? I mean, if someone comes to you and they say, hey, I love you. I love you. And they demonstrate that love in a crazy way like Jesus did by, by letting heaven go, coming to earth, dying on the cross. If someone comes and says, I love you, you got to respond some way. Now, you can reject him. Most people do. And I'm sure it hurts every single time. But he gives us that freedom. He gives us the choice. He doesn't make us love him back. So we can reject him. We can say, hey, thanks, but no thanks. I'm going to live my life without you. We can do that, or we can receive him. Now, many of us have, and if you have not received him, you need to. I'm not trying to be pushy. But if you don't wake up every day of your life realizing that despite all your failures and all your insignificant mistakes or your significant mistakes, if you wake up every day without realizing that despite all those things, you are loved by God, that you have the God of the universe in your corner, that the God of the universe loves you with that kind of intensity, if you don't live every day of your life knowing that, you need that. You can't live without that. It's a love that you can't get anywhere else, and it's a love that you can't ever lose when you have it. There's nothing like that in the world. And so I'm not telling you that you need it to fill up a quota or something like that. I'm telling you that you need it because you need it, because you need to be loved. It's a basic need. And no one loves like Jesus. Now, some of us have received it. We received it maybe a long time ago, maybe recently, but I have a question for you. Do you enjoy it? Do you enjoy the love of Jesus? Or are you like me and find yourself most days striving, trying to, to justify how maybe you can earn something that he's already given you? I don't tend to wake up and just bask in the love of Jesus and just say, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm loved by God today. I was a jerk to my wife last night, but it's okay, I'm loved by God today. I don't do that. I don't look at my life and say, man, I messed up with my kids and I lost my temper and I said something I shouldn't have, but at the end of the day, all that matters is that I'm loved by God. I don't do that. Instead, I try to earn it. And I find myself apologizing to Jesus constantly for all my mistakes, forgetting that he's not my master. He's my friend. He loves me. Do you ever sit and just enjoy the love of Jesus? Because you should. He loves you. It's Valentine's Day. You should go buy a box of chocolates today from Jesus for you and eat them. That's what you should do. And it's Valentine's Day, so they're probably on sale. Right? I'm serious. Go, go buy yourself something from Jesus to you and sit there and eat chocolates and realize with every chocolate, I'm loved by God. He bought this for me with my money that he gave me. Because if you have it, he gave it to you, whether you realize it or not. 
mean, seriously, enjoy it. Celebrate it. We celebrate fickle love all the time. We celebrate emotional love, but we got to celebrate the love of Jesus. And if you really want to respond, if you want to go all out, you want to you get something for Jesus on Valentine's Day that demonstrates your love for him here, just listen to his words. In John 15, 13, we'll go back to this. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. This is Jesus saying that I don't view myself as your master with you being my slave, my servant. He says, no, no, no. You're my friends. Since I've told you everything the Father told me, you didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. And this is my command. Love one another. Love one another. You want to respond to the love of Jesus, just go love someone today. Go love someone. Go out to eat. Leave a great tip. Seriously, love someone. Love your, love your friends, love your family, love your spouse, love your kids, love your parents. You know what, do this, have a little experiment. Love for one week the way Jesus loves. Wake up every day and say, hey, today, God, I'm gonna love like you. I'm not gonna love to receive. I'm not gonna give my, my friends or my spouse a compliment to hear one back. I'm just gonna give them to give them. I'm just gonna pray for them without even telling them that I'm praying for them. I'm gonna serve them and not expect anything in return. Love like that for one week and see how it changes your life. Love your wife like that for one week and see what happens. She'll probably kiss you. Love your kids like that for one week. Just one week. You live like that for one week, things will change because the love of Jesus is that powerful. It's not normal, but we're not supposed to be normal. The Bible calls us a peculiar people. In other words, you're supposed to be weird and many of you already are. So just own it. We're supposed to love in a way that's so strange that the world can't help but notice it. And so love that way this week. Just love. And if you love and you get rejected, you know how Jesus feels? Just love more. We're going to finish this morning by celebrating the love of God that we have in our lives with one more song. And so would you stand with me? You are loved by God. You realize that this morning? You realize that before you ever breathe the breath, you can clap for that, that he came for you, that he died for you, and that if you were the only person that ever lived, he would have done the same. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your love. You don't love like the world loves. You don't love to receive you don't love in a safe way. You're not all talk. You don't make promises that you don't intend to keep. You follow through with action. Your love is not conditional. Your love is not dependent on us. Your love is steady. Your love is true. Your love is always, always strong. Your love is real. And you created us, the Bible says, to be the focus of your love. You did not create us to love you. You created us to be loved by you. And Lord, we want to receive your love this morning. We want to celebrate the fact that you love us. We just want to bask in your love for a few minutes and say, hey, 
We're loved by God. Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, looks at us and says, you are worthy of my love. And Lord, help us this week as we receive your love, as we reflect on your love, help us to give it away, help us to respond and to love you by loving others. And we ask all this in your name, Jesus, and we tell you happy Valentine's Day. We love you. Amen.